You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. So, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Morgan. I'm one of the leaders here at the church. I... We lead uh, the Awaken Recovery Group that meets on Tuesday nights in person. Thank God. Uh, I have also played Jesus in Hero the Rock Musical for the past six years. And um, you may have seen me wearing less clothing with a bigger beard, belting out rock ballads from across. Um, If you haven't, Hero the Rock Musical, shameless plug. But I... Welcome, welcome to church. I, I'm so, I'm just so honored to be here, just standing in front of all of you guys behind a podium that's been paid for with blood, sweat, and tears from our pastors, that it's, it's such an unbelievable season that we've been in and that we're coming out of in Jesus' name. So we're gonna go on a journey And I love to go on journeys because God will take me on journeys. I love that his word is alive and it comes alive for us, all of us, every single one of us, whether you preach from a stage or you don't, it doesn't matter that God's word is alive. And every time I'm confronted with something in his word, it it grows me and stretches me. And God dropped this word in my spirit a few weeks ago when my wife and I were coming back from Idlewild. We'd gone up there with my family and normally I'm just a chatterbox in the car. If you know me, you know I can talk for hours. And uh, God started showing me uh, about the Tower of Babel and it was so profound that I didn't actually talk to my wife the entire way back in the car. I was just being like, whoa. And if you know me, that is a, uh, that's definitely a thing. So anyway, (laughs) I really feel like in the world right now, we are in a Babel time. That the languages have gotten confused, that people have gotten scattered, that relationships have grown cold, and there's just a lot of confusion. And even though we may be speaking mostly the same language, that people don't understand each other anymore. And just even like a few months ago, things were going so good. It seemed like there was nothing that could stop us and the progress and the change and everything that was going on in the world was so promising. 2020, new vision, big new year, so exciting. And then all of a sudden, 2020, oh my gosh, what is next? But the worst part of all of that is the division that's happened even in the house of God. And God brought me into his word. I'm like searching for answers and he brought me into his word and it's the best place to be because if you go searching anywhere else for answers, it is very, very confusing place. So he brought me into the book of Genesis. So if you've got your Bibles with you, open to Genesis. It's right near the beginning. You can just flip forward a few pages and bam, you're there. So Genesis 10, one. Now, the genealogy of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their sons were born to them after the flood, 
These were the families of the sons of Noah according to their generations and in their nations, and from these nations were divided on the earth after the flood. So I've got a map for you. And this is interesting. This map is just straight Bible, and this map is from like the 1700s, but it's all what was written in the Bible 3,500 years ago. And it said, when God divided the tribes at the Tower of Babel, all of Japheth's family went up to what is now Europe and Russia. All of Shem's family went over to Asia and Ham hung out down in Africa and the Middle East. And it's fascinating to me that this is from the 1800s, this map. What was written about is from 3,500 years ago. So keep, keep, stay with me. So go forward to Genesis 11.1. 1. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And then they said to one another, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see a city and a tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one and they have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they purpose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So some people look at this and think, wow, God is such a jerk. <laughs> and you look at the Old Testament and throughout the Old Testament, if you have that viewpoint on God, you can see, wow, wow, God. <laughs> And it seems like God is really wrathful. And then some people will even teach, well, thank God for Jesus. God, you know, it would be better if he was in the Old Testament, which he is, by the way, just in case you were wondering. But, because he's really nice. He's like, he's like Mr. Rogers' God, you know? It's just very welcoming. Come on in, be my neighbor, sit down. No problems here. So some of these people think that God's kind of a jerk in the Old Testament. And I mean, seriously, they were doing great stuff. They built this incredible city in Babylon in the ancient world was the biggest city in the world. 250,000 people way back then. That's like Mexico City on steroids. It's insane. And they wanted to make a name for themselves. There's nothing wrong with that. They were making bricks. This is the first mention of bricks in the Bible. They were being inventive. Didn't God create us to be creative? They created something. But they substituted stone for bricks. Stone is something that God created. Bricks are something that man created. And who knows that stone is a little bit more stable than mud and straw. But nevertheless, we're going to build a tower up to the heavens, mud and straw, go for it. So they wanted to make a name for themselves. So do I have any parents in here? Parents? Okay. How many of you parents know that sometimes when we hold a hard line with our kids, it seems harsh in the moment, but it's merciful when you consider the big picture? Okay. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Okay. So big picture... In the Garden of Eden, man chose comfort over glory. I'll tell you what I mean. So the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, 
Adam and Eve wanted to know everything without having to experience anything. And there are people in the church that are like that. They know the whole Bible, but they ain't living it. Can I get an amen? Amen, anybody? Okay. Uh, So God said, here's the plan. Trust me, it is the best plan in the whole world. It's gonna be the most fulfilling plan for your life. Adam and Eve, hey, here's what I want you to do. Be fruitful and multiply. Go out to the whole earth and fill it and subdue it. This is a good plan. This is what I have for you. I gave you a model of what paradise looks like. It's like a model home with all of the stuff in the Garden of Eden. I want you to take this and go and multiply it. And you will lead fruitful lives and you'll be able to take responsibility for the whole earth and fill it. But what did they do? God gave them a blueprint. And they said, well, why don't we just stay here and eat this fruit? We'll know everything without having to do anything. And like a good parent, God kicked their little lazy butts out of the house. (laughs) And nine generations later, things were really messy. So God cleaned up the mess, just washed it away. Huge worldwide flood. (laughs) But his call on man hadn't changed. And as Noah and his family got out of the boat in Genesis 9-1, God told them, go, be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth. Six verses later, Genesis 9, 7, he said it again, because how many parents know sometimes kids don't listen? He said, go, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. What did they do? They settled. They're like, oh, here we are. This plain of Shinar looks good. Why don't we build a big city, make a name for ourselves and build a giant tower up to the heavens so we can hear God, even though we don't listen to him anyway. And make a name for ourselves here so he won't scatter us across the earth. And once again, God said, For for the love of me. No, go, go be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth. So I'm going to, because I love you and I know what's best for you, I'm going to confuse your language so you don't get it wrong again. And I'm gonna scatter your tribes across the earth so you will fulfill what is best for you. Trust me. I have a plan to prosper you. I love you. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. If I'm reading the Bible and just looking for wrath everywhere, I've got a prejudice that I need to let go of. We can pray for that later. (laughs) So the Lord God scattered them abroad from there over the whole face of the earth and they ceased building the city. Therefore, the name is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. So if you remember that map we looked at a couple of minutes ago, that's the biblical account. 
That map's information, 3,500 years old. This is the map that you get if you do Ancestry.com or 23andMe. This map was published in the New York Times. And the same information that was in the Bible 3,500 years ago shows up on this map. Guess what? There's three of what they call haplogroups that have populated the entire Earth says, by examining DNA patterns that are inherited maternally or paternally, scientists can trace human lineages back to the original branches or sons and daughters of a genetic Adam and an Eve. So sometimes it just takes a while for science to catch up to what God said was true in the beginning. Do I have any people that are like kind of hard learners? I'm definitely one. I'm raising my own hand. Judge me. Judge me later. So in human genetics... The Y-chromosomal, most recent common ancestor, informally known as Y-chromosome Adam, you can look this up if you don't believe me, he's the most recent common ancestor from whom all currently living males are descended from patrilineally. The term YMRCA reflects the, the fact that the Y-chromosome of all currently living human males are directly derived from the Y-chromosome of this remote ancestor. The analogous concept of the matrilineal most recent common ancestor is known as mitochondrial Eve, named for the matrilineal transmission of mtDNA. Is she's the most recent woman from all from whom all human beings are descended from matrilineally. Wow. So, by the way, this isn't BibleScience.com or I'm a super Christian magazine.com. This is like this is just like regular science. So, you know, I, I looked at, at, at literally peer-reviewed scientific journals, and all of them say the same thing. If you look for mitochondrial atom or mitochondrial Eve and Y-chromosome atom on the internet, you get all of this information. It's fascinating. Don't have enough time to talk about it this morning, but hey, it's an open door. So there's a, uh, in, in the journal called Nature, which is the, the, probably the most famous scientific journal on the planet, uh, the New York Times again, and New Scientist, and a lot of others all say the same thing about genetic Adam and Eve. We're not randomly coming from all of these different places. So, Harvard University, prestigious place. Dr. Vivian Chow is a biological anthropologist at Harvard, and she said, in the biological and social sciences, the consensus is clear. Race is a social construct, not a biological attribute. Today, scientists prefer to use the term ancestry to describe human diversity. Ancestry focuses on understanding how a person's history unfolded, not how they fit into one category and not another. So, race is an idea that was created by men who walked by sight wow. and not by faith. Wow. Because this has been something that has been in God's word since the beginning. Yeah. Humankind is not a random occurrence. God had a plan. And even as he scattered mankind across the earth, he had a plan to bring us back together. Another doctor, Peter Underhill at Stanford University, big man on campus, Although their lineage trees are based on genetic differences, most of these differences lies in the regions of DNA that do not code for genes and have no effect on the body. We are all descended from the same father at the Y chromosome level, and we are really all 
brothers. And you want to know how much difference there is between me and my farthest human relative? We have 99 point, between 99.1 and 99.4 of the exact same DNA. It's literally not a thing. But what's really cool, I'm going to get to in a minute. So my message is called Brothers and Sisters. All of us are descended from one father and one mother, no matter what our skin color, background, or supposed differences may be. We're all brothers and sisters. The idea that they are that there are others is a worldly idea. It's not God's heart, and it wasn't God's plan, and it's also not the truth. So again, me going back to my scientific journals and also uh, newspapers, they reported about this. So when God confused the tongues and scattered the tribes, he didn't intend for them to stay scattered. He had a plan from the beginning to bring the band back together at the genetic level. And we are genetically attracted to those who we have, who we need things from genetically. In our olfactory senses, in our sense of smell, we can literally smell people that would be better genetic matches for us because there's things that God left us without when he scattered us. And there's this incredible, beautiful tapestry of color, of smells, of sounds, of cuisines that aren't meant to divide us. They're meant to entice us because we need each other. At the most basic human level, we actually need each other in order to survive, to grow, and to carry out God's plan for us. So interesting stuff, right? Okay, let's make it practical. <laughs> um, so John 14, 15, Christ said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And that sounds controlling. There's some things, just the way they phrase them, sounds kind of controlling. If you love me, you'll obey me. And if you've got this, this prejudice, if you've got this lens that you're seeing God through, that you're looking at him, trying to line it up with this view of him that he is waiting for you to fail so he can punish you. That is a prejudice against God. That is not who he was, not who he is, and not who he will be. And I think that this, this, this is the uh, Morgan translation of the New Testament, that you could just change the words and they would mean the same thing, that if you love me, You'll trust me. Just trust me in this. Come on. My, my heart is for you. Do I believe that God is for me? Do I, have a, a, do I believe that he has a plan to prosper me and not to harm me? That he's known the end from the beginning, that his perspective is bigger than mine? Do I believe that he's good? You know, and so let's look at what he commands us to do because really, if you read the Ten Commandments, they're not all that bad. I don't know why people are tearing them down, but you know, there's like... <laughs> Right, so there's Matthew 12, 28 through 31. So then one of the scribes came and having heard Jesus and the Pharisees reasoning together, perceiving that Jesus had answered them well, he asked Jesus, which is the first or which is the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus replied to him, 
The first or the greatest of all commandments is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second commandment, like it, equal to it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. There's no third commandment. Go love yourself. We'll get to that in a second. So on a practical level, how do I love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and with all my strength? And I want to break it down for you because it needed to be break, broken down for me. And I'll tell you that I can't love God with all my heart unless I have a prayer life, unless I spend time in worship. And honestly, I can tell you, and I bet I can probably get a show of hands of people that would agree with, agree with me that when I worship, God is magnified when I worship in community. That we're meant to worship together. We're meant to be together in his house. It's not good for man to be alone. And we have lost people. We have lost friends during this pandemic because they were alone and they couldn't take the pain of being alone. It's not good. And if you're struggling, especially if you're struggling online and you're not here, we love you. There is community here for you. Get out of your house, come down to the church and let us worship with you. That prayer and worship is like water from my heart. I am dry when I'm not spending time in prayer and in worship. How do I love God with all my soul? Best way that I've found is to speak and pray in tongues and let his spirit intercede for me because God knows that he knows better than I do. That if my history has proved anything, it's that God's plan for my life is always, always better than my plan for my life. And there are things that I need that I don't even know that I need. The things when I think I need, when I know what I think I need, I usually get it wrong or just not as good as what God's plan is. And so I need to be spending, praying in tongues, speaking in other languages that the Spirit is interceding on my behalf. And if you do not have the gift of tongues, if you've been weird about the gift of tongues, Come down to the altar when we have like altar when we have ministry time and ask somebody to pray for you that you would receive the Holy Spirit and get the gift of tongues. So third thing, mind. How do I worship God with all my mind? And I'll tell you the best way that I've found and the thing that challenged me the most is to have a position before I open the Bible. And I just want to tell you one thing about reading the Bible. Do not ever let a pastor read the Bible for you that we have the best pastors in the world, in this church and the ones that come through our church because our pastors, our senior pastors are so honoring and so amazing that everybody wants to come here. <laughs> and you get these mind blowing revelations that are so incredible. But what's more incredible is what God has for you in his word. You need to spend time in his word and let him minister to you. And I'll tell you my secret is when I take the position that God's word is true, that the Bible is true, whether it makes sense to my natural mind or not, and I come up against something that is like, oh my gosh, this is really, I'm struggling with this. Instead of being offended and closing the book, 
I see it as God's greatest opportunity to stretch me and grow me and change me into the person that he wants me to be. And I get the most mind-blowing things when I let him do that. But if I just close it and be like, that's stupid. That was written tons of years ago. And there's all these people that have been arguing around campfires forever and corruption and blah, blah, blah. Let God minister to you through his word. And then finally, strength. That a loving God with all my strength is really taking care of my body. There's gotta be some self-care in there, but not like such an excessive amount that I am not loving him and I'm not loving others. I'm just trying to love myself and fill up my own tank. Because truthfully, I need to take a rest. You know, the Sabbath, it's not a bad thing. Again, parents, do you know what happens when your kids don't nap? Take a Sabbath. When you fast, it literally resets your tastes and you start to crave things that are healthy naturally. It's amazing. You know, it's, it's so love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So my first point is, I, God's commandments for us don't benefit him, they benefit us. And if you're thinking that God's trying to be some controlling legalist and control your life so you can have the worst life possible here on earth so maybe you can eke out a, like a decent existence in heaven eventually, you got it wrong. That God's plan for us is to prosper us. He doesn't have evil thoughts going towards us ever. And his commandments are put in place for us to give us our best lives possible. He doesn't benefit from us failing. He's a good father who loves us. You know, what about, you shall have no gods before me? It sounds a little bit insecure. Okay, again, parents. How hard is it when there is somebody else trying to parent your kids? Have you ever had disagreement with your spouse about what to do with the kids? You say yes to one thing, they say no. It's tough, right? God's just trying to make it easy. Stop listening to all these opposing voices. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I've known the end from the beginning and I love you and I'm for you. Just trust me. When I love God with all my heart, soul, mind and strength, it actually prepares me to love my neighbor as myself. And when I don't spend time in worship, when I don't spend time in the word, when I'm not speaking in tongues, when I'm not taking care of my body, I can't love friggin' anybody. I just can't, I'm like a wreck. I don't even wanna leave the house. And there's a huge problem with depression and anxiety. And God didn't give us a spirit of fear. And there's a lot of people that are under depression and anxiety and they think that they need to solve it. But what they really need is love because perfect love casts out all fear. We don't have a fear problem. We don't have a faith problem. We just have a love problem. Love God, love others. So second point, the only way to truly love myself is to love God and love others. There's no commandment to love yourself because loving God and loving others is the most loving thing you can do for yourself. You can't actually love yourself if you don't love God and love others. People try to love themselves, do for themselves so they can love themselves. They have it backwards. Love God, love others. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. And the two greatest are these, sowing and reaping. Love God love others, sow love, 
reap love. That's how it works. It's not like love yourself so that maybe you can get a little bit back. Some people do this with tithing. Sowing and reaping works everywhere and especially with love. You've got to love God and love others. And that brings me to uh, the third point, to love my neighbor as myself. I actually have to see my neighbor as myself. And this is challenging to my pride. How many of you guys have been really badly hurt or wronged by somebody in your life? Can I get a show of hands? Everybody. I had, a, I had a piece of unforgiveness I could not shake. I had been really, really badly betrayed by somebody that I loved, cared for, and invested in, and they sped, spread the most vicious rumors about me to try to destroy me and get with my ex-girlfriend. And luckily, it blew up in their face, but I looked down at them and the best that I could work out was pity. So I'm here high up on my mountain of righteousness, looking down at their pitiful existence in that valley of despair and being like, pity them. But I had a, I couldn't shake it. And it was like five or six years that it ate away at my spirit. And this guy was in my community. So I saw him all the time. And it was just like, I was like, I need to deal with this. And so I went to my mentor and my mentor said, the key to breaking unforgiveness is to ask yourself the question of when have you ever done the thing that you've resented for him to doing to you, to him or to anybody else, even in spirit ever. And I was guilty. I had gossiped about others. I tried to get with other guys' girls. I had, I tried to make myself look all spiritual when I was doing all this stuff. And when I saw that, my little mountain shrunk and his little valley rose. And all of a sudden, I saw him as a brother in need of mercy and grace, every bit as much as I was. And that clear, it made my perspective on the whole situation clear. And I could see, even though I hadn't done anything to him to cause this, after it happened, whoo, I did some stuff. And maybe the situation was 95% his fault, but it was 5% my fault. And I couldn't clean up the 95%, but I could take 100% responsibility for my 5%. And God had transformed me already. I couldn't do that naturally on my own. I needed the one that first loved me so I could love others. That was the prerequisite. But when that happened, I actually took my hat in my hand and I tracked him down and I said, hey, I wronged you. This is specifically how I wronged you. Are there any other wrongs that I'm not aware of that you need to tell me about? And is there anything that I can do to repair these wrongs? I am willing to go to the people that I gossiped about you to and tell them that I was wrong. And he looked at me and he's like, are you kidding me? After everything, after everything I've done. <sighs> and I was able to share the gospel with him. And through that and through some other amazing Christian friends around him, he got saved. And very soon after that, he got diagnosed with brain cancer and he battled for four years, but he battled with God. 
he battled filled with the Holy Spirit, with Christ at his side. And though he lost that battle on this side of eternity, I know that I'm going to see him again in heaven. And there is breakthrough on the other side of your releasing. You're, you have to, to, to forgive means to give first. I've got to sow before I reap. But those reaps, that reaping comes pressed down, shaken together, running over into areas and the most miraculous things come through that. And finally, you know, in order to love my neighbor, I actually have to leave the comforts of my home. And it's hard. Because it's so easy to just sit behind a screen and agree with all of the people that already agree with me and make up stories about all of the others in the world, but never sit down at the table that God has prepared for me in the presence of my enemies and actually see what it's like to walk a mile in their shoes. And there were a lot of things that I came into faith with. I was jacked up. I had crazy drug addiction and alcoholism as a teenager. God radically delivered me from that, but I only gave him that part of my life and I continued to struggle. It just changed shape. I became a sex addict. I'd been a porn addict since I was a, a kid. I got into a homosexual relationships. I had a severe eating disorder. I had compulsive exercising. I had workaholism. I was jacked up. And I heard the gospel preached. And what I thought the gospel was, was you become a good person, you change your behavior, and then God will be well pleased with you. But what I actually heard when I heard the gospel preached for real was that God wants to grow you and mature you like a loving father to his son. He loves you and he wants what's best for you. Are you willing to take a chance and just let him into that? And I trusted. I left my comfort zone because I'd lost my faith in God when I lost my faith in the other hero of Christmas when I was six years old and I thought Christians were small-minded bigots that believed in fairy tales. But what I saw was God working in the lives of those who I knew who claimed Christ in ways that was miraculous, where they were in ways that, that shouldn't have even happened, going from glory to glory and giving praise back to God. And there was such a beautiful transformation in their lives that were winding upward while my life was winding downward. And it seemed no matter how hard I tried to do good, I would fail over and over again. And if it was about me trying to be a better me, I would never get there. But I was willing to give a chance to believe, just step out in a little bit of faith that maybe, maybe this is the way, this is the way it works because it's really the only way that it could work for me. And I did, and God started to change my life. And you know, there was something that happened in, the, in a moment in my spirit that put me on the downward track up to the upward call, but there was a while that he worked on me, that there was a process to work out all of my unforgiveness, all of my brokenness, all of my trauma. I needed healing, I needed grace, I needed deliverance, I needed community. 
but when I got to the end of that and while I was growing, I started seeing things change. And I thought that I had been disqualified from every, ever having a beautiful family and a happy life and being really successful and having financial success, having that abundant life that Christ died to give me. I didn't believe that it was possible for me because I had gone too far. I'd sunk too low. There's no coming back from where I came from, but God, And I started to believe maybe, maybe I'd, maybe, maybe I could, maybe I could meet somebody. Maybe we could have a family. Maybe I could have a business. God, this sounds crazy. But they started to plant these seeds in my spirit. And I met my, my beautiful wife, Jenny, my friend Gia over there introduced us. And I met the first blind date that I ever agreed to go on in my life, I just had a peace in my spirit and there was a girl that heard from the Lord and she said, you've got to meet my friend Jenny. And I met her on a Saturday. We came here on a Sunday. We dated for five and a half months and man, I'll tell you that to say that I was promiscuous would be real generous. But God had changed my heart and I had never thought about, oh, gosh, how could I not sleep with somebody before we get married? but I'd seen that where I had trusted God, he had transformed my life and I was willing to trust him in that way. Just, and we had a conversation about it and we waited until we got married, which wasn't long, thank God, because God knows if you wait, God will speed it up. You know, we dated for five months, got engaged, five months after that, got married. A month and a half into our marriage, we got pregnant with my daughter. 20 months after she was born, my son was born. I stepped out into a dream of opening my own business this year. And we have been successful in the midst of a global pandemic and massive craziness. And God has been able to do something because in every natural sense, everything that I thought I had known about Christianity would have completely disqualified me from ever standing on this stage and ever talking about these things to you on a Sunday. That doesn't happen in the natural. But thank God that we serve a God that is above all of those things. So I've gone a little bit over, but thank God it's the 12. <laughs> Pray for grace. Pray for forgiveness. But before I let you go, I would be wrong to not, not give you an opportunity to respond and, and really be able to pray for you. And so if you'll allow me, if you will bow your heads right now. God, if, if you're feeling disconnected from God or feel disconnected from community, if you're feeling away from community, you're probably also feeling away from God, I wanna give you an opportunity to respond. If you're feeling isolated, separated, alone, if you're in fear, I just wanna invite you to come home. If you're online and you're sitting there and you're just scared to go out because fear's got you, I wanna pray for you today. There are pastors online that if you just say, hey, I'm responding to this, they will pray for you and they'll give you next steps to get plugged into community and get out of the mess that you're in. But if you are feeling 
like I was. <laughs> that you were once close with God, but you've fallen away for whatever reason. Maybe somebody has broken your heart or they've hurt you. I just want to invite you to come back home. Is there anybody like that in this room today? Can I pray for you? Can you raise your hand? Oh, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, thank you. I see hands going up all over the room. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, I see you. God loves you. So while our heads are still bow, are bowed and our eyes are closed, I just wanna pray uh, for all the people that just responded, both here in person and online. And I would just like everybody to join me so they can hear, even while their eyes are closed, can hear the roar of the community that's around them that just wants to love them back to life. So repeat after me, Heavenly Father, I thank you today that you so loved me that you sent Jesus Christ, your only son, on a rescue mission to save my life because I'm that valuable to you. I ask you, Jesus, come into my heart. I thank you that your death on the cross has wiped away all my sin. Today I declare that I am forgiven, I am clean, I am washed, I am brand new, and I am born again. I declare that heaven is my home and God is my Father. I ask you today, deliver me from dead religion and deliver me into a life-giving community that will love me back to life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.